Hello, my name is James Chalmers. I'm the Deputy Chief Editor of the European Respiratory Journal, uh, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to Professor Mark Humbert regarding the recent publication of the Stellair study, a study in severe asthma that gives us new information about the role of biological therapy. So welcome, Mark. Hello, James. Thank you for inviting me. So, Mark, I'd like to start by asking you to just explain to the listeners what was the main objective of the Stellar study? Yeah, thank you. So, the main objective of the Stellar study was to determine the importance of pretreatment blood eosinophil count as a predictive measure for response to omalizumab, which is a monoclonal anti-IG antibody approved for the treatment of severe allergic asthma. Uh, Indeed, the situation right now is that we have several biologics approved for the treatment of severe asthma, and these biologics target the IgE for malizumab, the IL-5 for mepolizumab and reslizumab, the IL-5 receptor for benralizumab, the IL-4 receptor for dupilumab. So we have a lot of uh, new biologics coming to the clinic, and uh, these biologics mostly target what we call type 2 patients who are allergic and eosinophilic usually, and there is considerable overlap between the patient populations. For example, omalizumab, which is approved for severe allergic asthma, uh, has often patients treated with significant uh, eosinophilic uh, blood count. And there were some post-hoc analyses of previous studies which were suggesting that omalizumab-treated patients with higher eosinophil count could be better responder to omalizumab therapy. And this was, of course, a post-hoc analysis, and we thought that it was uh, very timely to analyze the importance of pretreatment blood eosinophil count as a possible predictor of omalizumab uh, effectiveness in real-life setting. So the, the, you had a very clear question, does this drug work? as well or better in patients with high blood eosinophil count. So what was the design of the study? How did you go about testing that hypothesis? Yeah, this is very important to, to clarify uh, the design because uh, this study was multicenter, non-interventional, retrospective observational. So it's not a randomized controlled trial at all. It's a real-life effectiveness study. It has been performed in one country, France, from December 2015 to September 2016. And uh, the uh, study uh, used data from medical records of pediatric and adult asthmatics treated with omalizumab for severe allergic asthma. So we had hospital-based pulmonologists and pediatricians who were asked to provide data of all their consecutive patients meeting the stellar inclusion criteria. And the stellar inclusion criteria were an age of six years or above, a treatment with omalizumab for severe allergic asthma, a documented blood eosinophil count measured within 12 months of omalizumab treatment initiation, with a number of exacerbations recorded within 12 months of treatment initiation, and this patient should have a documented physician evaluation of treatment effectiveness measured four to six months after treatment initiation. So um, the outcomes in this study 
which is once again a real-life study. This was this were both the global evaluation of treatment effectiveness, which is um, a crude measure of treatment treatments made by the doctor, and the exact number of exacerbations before and after treatment initiation. Okay, and so what were the main findings of the study? Well, the first thing is that we were able to recruit uh, more than 10% of the French treated patients at that time. So 872 patients were analyzed, including a large number of uh, patients between 6 and 17 years old. There were 149 out of the 872. So at baseline, if you take all patients, uh, the mean age was 44 years old, uh, 11 in the kids and 51 in the adults. All patients were treated according to current recommendations, including, and I think that's um, a large number, 29% on oral corticosteroids with a daily dose of 20 milligrams per day. So the blood eosinophil counts were 491 per microliter with a median of 308 in adults and 619 in pediatric cases. The number of exacerbation was high before treatment with a mean of 4.5 exacerbations per year. After four to six months of treatment, the global evaluation of treatment effectiveness was excellent or good in 77% of minors and 67% of adults. The number of responders, and that was the main objective of the study, was the same in eosinophil high and eosinophil low populations. And the same applied for severe exacerbation reduction, which was reduced by um, around 45 to 55%, irrespective of the baseline eosinophil count. That's clearly very important because you've said that the average eosinophil count was over 300 in this population. So it seems that eosinophilia in, in omeluzumab users is is the norm. It's very common. Um, so uh, what would you say are the main sort of implications of this now for clinical practice? Yeah, we, we thought this study would be an addition to the current uh, available data for the practitioners. So um, my, my take-home message is that um, these real-life data, which were once again obtained in more than 10% of the French patients with severe allergic asthma and treated with omalizumab, they are of interest because first, as you just said, uh, they show that at least 50% of patients with severe allergic asthma treated with omalizumab had an eosinophil count above 300 eosinophils per macroliter. This really highlights the very important overlap between the populations treatable with anti-IgE or novel anti-IL-5 or anti-IL-5 receptor monoclonal antibodies. In addition, uh, for practice, uh, these data indicate that um, in this real-life setting, eosinophil count is not a predictor of future response to malizumab. You may respond as well, irrespective of your baseline eosinophil count. You may have 100, 200, 300, 500. Your response to malizumab might not be affected by that. However, a word of caution, this is a real-life observational retrospective uh, study based on medical records, so uh, many warnings here, but 
uh, we should really uh, encourage future studies which should investigate, I think, the clinical effectiveness of different biologics targeting overlapping patient population with severe persistent asthma with or without a high uh, blood eosinophil count. And obviously, uh, the main question I would ask now is um, whether it's better to initiate treatment in patients with severe allergic asthma and eosinophils with an anti-IgE or an anti-IL-5 or anti-IL-5 receptor. I really think we need to do this study uh, in order to provide more information, you know, for, uh, of course, guidelines, but also care pathways, how to treat patient, what is the first line, what is the second line therapy in case of non-response to the first line. So this is a very exciting, very important study, and we're delighted to have published this in the ERJ. I think you're right. The listeners are going to have this question now that there are multiple biologics on the market. And which one do I start first if I have a patient with multiple overlapping treatable traits? The history of this is, of course, there are very rarely are large comparative trials of these types of drugs. While we await trials, how would you suggest that people managing patients with severe asthma should choose uh, the appropriate biologic for the patient? Yeah, it's a tricky question, and I I would like to emphasize that the European Respiratory Journal has been uh, at the peak, I would say, uh, has been very active in uh, producing documents, comments, perspective articles, discussing that. You you mentioned the the word treatable traits. The the first paper published by Agustin Pavord was published in the ERJ in 2016. And um, last year's two important editorials were published by Boulle and colleagues and Bousquet and colleagues, exactly asking the question on what should we do in eosinophilic asthma at the time of multiple biologics available now? In the editorial entitled Care Pathways for um, uh, Severe Asthma, published by uh, Bousquet and colleagues, we, we really made a proposal, uh, which was um, we have currently several biologics. Some have been around for a long time. Some have been around for a short time. We have a lot of data from randomized control trials, but less data from real-life setting. And importantly, uh, we do not have similar uh, indications for initiation of treatment, and we do not have similar stopping rules. So taking all these complex uh, parameters into account, uh, Jean Bousquet and colleagues propose to first assess uh, whether patients are allergic or not, and if allergic, uh, because of the uh, availability of anti-IgE and the early stopping rule, uh, Bousquet and colleagues propose to start treatment with an anti-IgE uh, with a very clear uh, recommendation to evaluate whether we should continue or not after 16 weeks of treatment based on the available stopping rules, which are in the European label of omalizumab. If the patients are non-allergic, eosinophilia should be assessed and eosinophilic patients should be, of course, treated with anti-L5 or anti-L5 receptor uh, monoclonal antibody. But the stopping rule is not as early. Uh, According to NICE in the UK, uh, after one year of treatment, one may consider whether or not the treatment response is good or bad. 
In the editorial by Boole, we were uh, proposing to do it a bit earlier, maybe after around six months, but this is only expert opinion. For the patient with overlapping phenotype, uh, the good news is that when treatment A doesn't work, you may switch to treatment B, uh, which is important. Another thing we didn't take into consideration is corticosteroid dependence. As you have heard uh, in Stellar, uh, more than one-fourth of the patients were steroid-dependent, and we have stronger evidence uh, for uh, anti-L5 and anti-L5 receptor therapies in patients with steroid dependence, but it has not yet been taken into consideration in the care pathway proposal by Bousquet and colleagues. But of course, this is a living document. And with the availability of more data, uh, more drugs, uh, etc., it's very likely that the care pathways will be uh, refined uh, for our uh, colleagues. Sounds like this would be a very valuable topic for a future European Respiratory Society guideline for the management of severe asthma. Thank you very much, Mark, for telling us all about the Stellair study, for publishing it in the European Respiratory Journal, and also for providing those valuable perspectives on the the management of patients with biologics. Thank you uh, for listening to this podcast, and we look forward to welcoming you next month for the next uh, edition of the European Respiratory Journal podcast. Thank you.